Chapter 7 of For God and Gold. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. For God and Gold by Julian Stafford Corbett. Chapter 7 It was John Drake's rough voice that aroused me as the soft morning light glimmered into the cabin where I had been sleeping. Rise quickly, said he, the fish is in sight, and Frank says you must bear a hand, us it is a big one. So great was that extraordinary man's hold already on me, that it never once seemed strange that I should receive orders from him thus. I rose quickly, and buckled on my sword and pistols, well knowing what was coming. I was not at all surprised to see Harry standing, bow in hand, by Frank, and all the rest armed with bows and pikes. Good morrow, Mr. Festig, cried Drake. Heaven! has sent the Ant Warper's fortune today. Ere another hour or so, they will be spared all further trouble for their cargo. See where she lies. It was a lovely misty morning, such as one can only see in the channel on a sunny autumn day. Nothing was in sight but the shadowy form of a good-sized caribou on our lardboard bow heavily laden and toiling at a snail's pace across our course. As we drew nearer, I could make out that she was at least twice, perhaps three times our size, though I could see but few men on board her. Still, my heart began to beat heavily. Steady now, lads, cried Drake as some of his brothers began to show signs of excitement. Steady, or we shall get never a bite. Get up on the forecastle, Jack, and mend a bit of net. And do you, Mr. Waldive, curl ass out of French ditty for a bait. And, look you, not a glint and glimmer of weapon. Thus, with nothing to show, we were not an ordinary French fishing boat we bore towards the caravel, so as to pass close under her stern to windward. They, seeing our purpose, and fearing some ill dealing, no doubt, since those wires were even then winning an evil name, hailed us. Still, we held on without answer, till they hailed again, asking what countrymen we were. Now, for an English greeting, cried Drake. It would be less than courtesy not to let them know our country, since they ask so fairly. The words were hardly out of his mouth. Twanked, and little cloud of arrows swept over the caravel. With loud, derisive cries, our crew fitted fresh shafts. Thick and fast they flew, till the crew of the caravel dared not show themselves on deck. Every man hurried below to shelter himself, except him 
who was at the helm. Bravely, he held on in spite of her shafts, till with a shudder, I saw an arrow strike him under the arm. With a low cry, he fell on his face across the tiller. The caravel hove up into the wind, and I saw the steer's man turned helplessly head over ears as the helm swung around. A sickening sight to see. Save you for a pretty tumbler, cried Joe Drake, and all the rest but Frank and Harry laughed loud. Steady, lads, steady, said he. Look to your pikes, and gentlemen, to their swords, or we shall some of us laugh the wrong side. As we fell aboard of her, I drew my rapier. I can say without pride, I was by this time no mean fencer, though a bungler beside Harry. Yet, so strange did my blade seem, now that for the first time I drew it in earnest, that I felt as though I had never handled one before. Still, there was no time to think. Frank Drake sprang aboard, Harry after him. I after Harry. No sooner did our feet touch the deck that out of the after cabin burst a half-dressed cavalier. Rapier in hand, some nine or ten men were at his back, armed with swords and daggers. With a loud cry, they ran upon us. The gentleman straight at me. He seemed mad with fury, for he made no shift to fence, more than to rush on with uplifted blade, as though straightway to a rebater with a wiping sweep, after the method of Carranza. I did but offer him my point the intrare, and he speeded himself or ever he came within his proportion. It was but murder. God forgive me for it when his will is. It made me sick to see my rapier half hidden in his breast, as his sword arm dropped, and for a moment he stood gnashing his teeth before he fell backward. I shut my eyes as the blade drew hard from the wound and reeled against the bulwarks, feeling dizzy with horror and my sickness. When I opened my eyes again, it was well nigh all over, for, save for two of his servants, no one resisted after the gentlemen fell. The rest were poor Dutch mariners, who cared little who had the cargo they carried, so long as they kept their skins whole. The serving men were quickly overpowered, and the rest of the crew driven within the forecastle. Then Harry came up and slapped me on the back. Well done, Jasper, he said. Slight, it was a pretty thrust, a most scholarship in Brocada. Would that Sir Falk had been here to see what his errant disciple can do. Perhaps he would rail less at your Italian butkin play and would say, I doubt not, that they can teach something beside legends at Trinity. But what is it, man? You look as if the blade were through you instead of him. Hush, Harry, 
I said, for God's sake, look to him, for I dare not. Poor lad, answered my dear brother, who could always feel for me far more than for himself. You are too sick for this bloody work. I will do as you bid, though there's little hope for him. But there was no need, for as I turned to look upon my work again, I saw Frank Drake leaning over the bleeding Spaniard, and, as tenderly as a woman, trying to staunch the wound. It filled me with new wonder and love for this man, to see how his fierce courage melted to gentleness as soon as the danger was over. I marveled, too, to see how apt he was at surgery, even then, though he had not yet attained to that great skill which afterwards he made it his duty to acquire. It seemed to make war wondrous gentle to see him, and I was better able to give my help. We soon disposed the wounded man more easily, and went to minister to the healthman. But, alas, he was stone dead. Meanwhile, the others had bound the crew, and Frank Drake set about questioning them. I don't know whether it made any difference to him, but he was most instant to find out if the cargo were Spanish-owned. While we were thus engaged, there was a sudden cry of a sail in sight. Looking up, I could see a tall ship looming through the silver mist and bearing down straight for us. Stand by to cast off, lads, cried Frank, cool and decided, till we see what she is. We were all on board of the gaze hound in a minute and sat breathlessly waiting to see what our unwelcome neighbor might be. Slowly she came down upon us, before the gentle breeze, looking so beautiful in the morning sun that I could hardly believe that she might contain a pirate's death for us all. The strain would have been more than I could have borne had it not been that my senses seemed dulled with horror of my deed. Afterwards, I thought it strange that no one had urged Drake to let go the prize and run for it, but then all seemed to think that the course he had made up his mind to was the only one possible. Nearer and nearer she drew till the mist, which was very thick, closed down on the water and had till now hidden her hull, cleared a little, and we could see, I at least with sinking heart, the sunlight sparkle on the ordnance which protruded from her lofty forecastle, like the teeth of some savage hound. Culverins whispered Harry to me, they have point-blank range of five hundred paces, and we are within that of her already. There is no running now, whatever befalls. Heaven send, she is a queen's ship, and no Spaniard. What matters which, said I, if we are pirates, I know well what grievous complaints they say the Spanish ambassador has made 
and what orders the Queen has given the Navy. Well, wait a little. See the trumpets on the poop? They are going to hail us. On she came, a glorious sight, with the sun glowing on her bulging sails and the perfect lines of her hull that swept so gracefully from towering poop to lofty forecastle. Suddenly, as she drew level with us, her trumpets blared forth a loud flourish that rolled merrily away over the misty sea. The boatswain's pipe chirped out, and we could see the sailors stand by to go about. Again the trumpets brared a fuller call, and then a mass of red and gold aloft unfolded itself with royal languor, till there flashed in the sunlight plain to see the beautiful banner of our island queen. A lusty cheer from all our crew greeted the welcome flag, as it died away as we could hear the captain of the queen's ship hailing us to know who we were and what we did. The gaze hound of Chatham, Master Drake, shouted Frank, springing on the poop. And then, after a pause, aiding a Spanish caravel in distress, we could hear a roar of laughter on board the ship as his words and the captain's voice came rolling back. Well met, Master Drake! and a fair voyage. We gave her another cheer as we saw her keep on her course. She answered us with her hot voice and other music, which we listened to till it grew faint in the offing, and we were left alone to do our will upon our prize and prisoners. As we watched her sail away so gallantly, with her gay streamers and gilded poop glittering like some traffic bird in the sun, I asked Drake what she was. I know her well enough, said he, but we ask not the names of Queen's ships that find us at this work. Yet I will tell you, it is the Minion, and Captain David Carlet is in command of her. He is bound for Guinea with the John Baptist and Merlin, both of London, so I know. They are going to try if they cannot draw a little for the Queen out of the Portugal's wells, like Mr. John Hawkins. Good luck go with them, but now we must to work. After what I had seen of Drake's dealing with the Cavalier, I had so grievously hurt. I had no fear that the crew of the caravel would suffer at his hands any great cruelty, such as I had heard less noble spirits had inflicted in the fury of their revenge against the Inquisition. I went aboard the prize with the rest when Drake gave the order to rummage the cargo. We found that it consisted chiefly of silks and woolen goods. A few more inquiries soon showed us that they were Spanish-owned, and further, that the cavalier was a gentleman returning from secret service in the Netherlands to Spain. We quickly then completed our work, 
It was only to set some of the cargo on board the Gazehound, in order to lighten the caravel, enough to allow of her being run into Otterham Channel, one of those lonely tortuous inlets amongst the saltings in the mouth of the Medway, which we had all known so well since boyhood. As soon as it was done, Drake bade his brother and me, carrying the gaze hound, back to Rochester, while he and Harry, with half our crew and some of the Netherlanders who were freed for the work, made sail in the caravel to the spot whither he intended to take her. So we parted company, and I, with my change, came safely on the next morning's tide to our moorings. The Spanish bales we stowed on board Mr. Drake's hulk. He was not at home, purposely, as I could not help thinking, to ease his conscience, if indeed our piracy went in any way against it. Only poor Mrs. Drake was there, trying vainly to get her youngest boy away from the tough rail, outside of which he was recklessly climbing at the risk of a sudden grave in the rushing tide. She looked more wan and weary than ever when she saw what our cargo was, and soon seized an occasion to draw me into the cabin for a little comfort. Mr. Festing, she said piteously, for God's sake, sir, stop them from this bloody work. They will die in a halter, every one of them. God pardon me for not bearing his punishment without complaint. But what sinful woman was ever chastised with twelve such ruts? See, there is blood on your own doublet. Shun this sin, Mr. Festing, for sin it is. How will God ever give us back our dear James if we break his law daily, does? Surely he has been taken in judgment for his and his brother's wickedness. Frank is as bad as the rest and leads them on to it. But vengeance is the Lord's, Master Jasper, and not for preachers' sons. For all that men cry out about spoiling the Egyptians. I tried hard to comfort the poor woman, feeling deeply for her. I could pity her the more heartily in her misery at the little care or kindness her sons showed for her, seeing I knew what it was to crave and satisfied for a mother's love. She had often came to me thus for comfort, Yet I never found it a harder task than now, not only because of my own sense of sin, but also from a difficulty in understanding what she felt. At one moment she spoke of her voice as an infliction to Haven. At another she seemed in terror that she should lose them, nor could I be sure whether her hatred of piracy came from a tenderness for them or the lost. I could only tell her how I had been drawn into it unawares, and would do all I could to turn them from further crime. 
God bless you for your words, Master Jasper, she said. What should I do if I lost my boys? I see them all night dangling in halters, and sometimes again lying in blood with Spanish blades at their hearts. Then I wake and pray God for comfort till I sleep again, yet I only rise on the morrow to hear more talk of fights and Spaniards and wild work. Surely, said I, God has set them apart for some notable work in his service, seeing how they prosper in what they do. Maybe, maybe, the poor woman answered. Yet more times I think it is the devil and not God who is their master. Think of it, Master Jasper, twelve of them, and not one a godly preacher like their father. What will God say to me for that? It was my hope and comfort when little Willie came, bless his sweet heart, that he would be my own boy and God's till he fell in with the old sword hilt and loved it, just like all the rest of them, and played all day with it like the others, and grew as heady and masterful as the worst of them. Well, Mrs. Drake, said I, I am as earnest as you to turn them to a better path. You and I must try under God, yet in truth, I know not which way to start. Will you not go to the Earl of Bedford? She said eagerly. Did he hear what his godson did? I know he would stretch out his hand, and the Lord would prosper him. Truly, I thought when godly young Master Russell, as he was then, held my pretty curly painted Frank at his baptism, that he would prove the first fruits of a vineyard that should be savory in the nostrils of the Lord. But he punished my pride, and lo, my vine bore nothing but thistles. Still, go to him, Master Jasper, and he will save them. But my lord is far away in Berwick, said I, where I cannot reach him. Then write to him letters, she answered, or go inform Sir Falk how they deal with his boy. He is a justice, and will tell the queen and stop this ungodly breaking of the laws. I think this plan had come into my mind before, yet I had driven it away as one that sorted ill with my honor, and fearing to get the Drakes and Harry into some trouble. Now it looked less evil to me, for I think this poor weary mother had somewhat unmanned me. Without promising, I said I would do all in my power, which seemed greatly to comfort her. So I took my leave, and coming by boat to Rochester, where I found Lashmer, rode gloomily towards Longdean, much pondering what way my duty lay. By the time I reached the place where the roads to Longdean and Ashted parted, I had made up my mind. As I knew from the first I should, the Puritan party at Cambridge was already growing marvelously, grim-minded, 
there had been many who muttered secretly against the masks and comedies with which the university had entertained the queen, and in many other things, Mr. Cartwright and his friends, of whom I was one of the most loyal and devoted, began to show a growing faith in all that made life hard and mournful, no less than an ever-waxing mistrust of whatever was easy and pleasant. Tried by this terrible test, my true duty, as I thought, was easy to see. I had an inborn English horror of tail-bearing. Here, then, was an occasion to wound the carnal scrabble. I had a love for Harry that was the one bright light in my life. I had an admiration and belief in him that fed my hunger for guidance to a noble life. Here, then, was a time in which I might humble my earthly idol in the dust. Poor lad, poor lad! I can look back now from the quiet spot whither God has led me, and see my youth as something apart from me. I can pity it now, I, and grieve for it too, seeing that I know how many at this very hour are torturing themselves, even as did that youth that was I long ago. When will one arise with tongue and pen of flame? She show them what they do, that man may cease to mar what God in his wisdom and goodness has made so fair. Why will you be so doting, good people? What blindness has seized you? so that you cannot understand the gift of life that he has given you. It is hard, I know, to fathom all its depths, and fully understand the voice with which speaks to you, yet treat it not, therefore, like some poor mad thing that must be laid by the heels, and scourged and starved, till it grows so foul and ill-favored, that even the angels who weep for the folly of mankind shall turn from it with loathing. But I may not rail at you, for I was no wiser as I rode that night up to Ashted. I had started late from Rochester, and it had been dark an hour or more before I saw the crowded turrets and gables of my guardian's house faintly, outlined against the starlit sky. When I drew rein at the foot of the gentle slope upon which the manor house stood, I could hear the sound of many horses entering the gate above. It seemed strange to me that so large a company should be coming there at so late an hour, but I soon saw the cause. As I entered the gate, some serving men were setting torches in the scances round the court, and my bewildered eyes saw their lurid light fall on a whole train of pack horses, which almost filled the place. Frank Drake, together with some of his brothers and Harry, were moving busily and silently amongst them. 
they had plainly just come in, and were setting about unloading the packs, as though they had no spare time on their hands. Sir Falk was standing on the steps of the hall, looking at the busy scene below him. Who's there? cried he, suddenly catching sight of Lashmer and me dimly in the gateway. Where the devil is John Porter? Harry, quick to the gate! There are strangers! Frank Drake and Harry whipped out their swords in a trice and sprang towards me. Stand! they cried together. Who are you? A friend! cried I, riding out into the light and springing from my horse. Mass! said Drake. But I thought you were some of those rake hells from who, that had got wind of our luck and wanted to cut a slice for themselves. Is my gaze hound safe? Yes, said I, safe at her moorings, and the cargo in the hold of the hulk, and how fares it with the dawn? As well as man may, answered Drake, with a hole such as you whip through him. He lives, but no more. Thank God for your care of him, Mr. Drake, said I. But tell me now, what means all this hubbub? Why, answered Harry, only that our work took longer than yours, and had to be set about more secretly. Come and help unload the silk. What? cried I, aghast. The stolen cargo here? Blanda verba. Blanda verba, my scholar, said Harry, our prize of war, you would say. Of course it is, and where could it be safer than in the cellars of the gentleman adventurer who fitted out the craft that captured it? Surely you jest, said I. Nay, I jest not, answered Harry. It is plain open-air truth, and yet with also good a jest as to want no bettering at my hands. I can't see no jest in it at all, said I. I know it well enough, lad, cried Harry, putting his arm through mine in his old loving way. Many do not see it at first, but they come to it soon. You learn the lesson quick enough on the scat marches. But I could see you were so becumbered that, if I told you all, you would never join the sport. You shall pardon me, for, in truth, I could not rest till I had uncollaged you a little. Right willingly, said he. Sir Falk, we'll see you latched, for I must make another journey to Otterham Quay, ere the sun is up to bring on what is left of the caravel's cargo. So I left him, and went within to sleep a fevered, travelled slip, in which I saw the wounded cavalier grinning upon my sword again, till he sprang at last from off it, and, seizing Harry and the Drakes, swung them up on gibbets in a long, ghastly row, while Mrs. Drake cried to me, who could not move to save them. End of chapter 7